welcome to the Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 22. Um, today we're going to be talking about rebirth, but before we get into that, I want to remind everybody, if you want to check out the website, you can go to hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. If you had any emails for us on the podcast page, you will see my email address, hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. Any of the email addresses will actually send the mail to me, though. And some exciting news. If you're not listening to this on Northern Runes Radio, we will be broadcast on Northern Runes Radio, and I believe they have a lot of other good podcasts there. So in our links page, and for the time being also in our homepage, I have put a link to Northern Runes Radio, so I would strongly suggest you check them out. They've got a lot of good podcasts there. Okay, with all of that out of the way, um, today I have Lauren. How are you? Hello, I'm good. And I have Lore. How are you doing, Lore? Doing excellent. Thank you very much for asking. Okay, today we are going to um, be talking about rebirth. That's kind of a generic, big topic, so... We're going to see exactly where the conversation goes. In Ossetru, there's a lot of stories about rebirth. Some of the ones I want to keep in mind when we're discussing this is the one where Odin gets the runes, um, which is a type of personal rebirth, I think a lot of people anyway would say. I want to talk about the um, the idea of Iduna's apples, which is in some ways perhaps a physical rebirth. Uh, to be discussed, of course. And then, of course, I also want to talk about the idea of Seif and her golden hair, which has to do with rebirth, and, of course, Ostera and Balder. The Balder story is probably the biggest rebirth story. So, in a very general sense... Um, oh, and I... Um, Ragnarok has a lot to do with rebirth, too, because you have the world being reborn. So, in a general sense... I guess I would say rebirth is the act of, um, well, dying and being born again. Lord, do you want to elaborate that on that at all, or or maybe what is rebirth to you? Well, rebirth can mean many things to many different people, but I would just take it as uh, reforming an original thing into something new. Like if uh, I was to be reborn, I would uh, still have a part of me that was the last thing, but then I would be something else. A good thought of that would be, of course, the Odin story when he's reaching for the runes, because afterwards he is changed. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that story because, um, generally speaking, rebirth is cyclical, and the nature of rebirth is very cyclical, but in that particular story, you see the, um, the idea of rebirth being used as a vehicle to change yourself into something great or greater, perhaps being less cyclical and more um, upward momentum, but still with a cyclical nature to it. Um, Lauren, do you have thoughts on rebirth? Yeah, um, with the Odin story and with some of the other ones, but basically that you have this idea that you have your former self, some part of that being destroyed and then reborn either, hopefully in an upward momentum, like the Odin story, but maybe just the same, like in the Seath story. <clears throat> so something from the old 
that's being destroyed and then being reborn with a piece of what was before, but probably not the whole. Okay. So when we think of the story of Odin and how when he went through his rebirth story, there was a an idea of, of changing and becoming something better. And then we compare that to something like the uh, Seif story, where the Seif story, for anyone who's not familiar, the real quick rundown is Loki cut off Seif's hair and then um, as a prank, and then Thor forced him to go down to the dwarves and have them make new hair for her. And the new hair was bundled by the dwarves. A lot of other stuff happened. And then it was put on her head. It magically planted itself on her head and looked just as good as her old hair because she was known for having beautiful hair. Now, in that story, I think it could easily be argued that she was restored to her former glory plus some because now the hair is actually made out of gold, which is, of course, very prized and very beautiful. But I've heard, and I think this really makes a lot of sense, I believe this myself, that it is a metaphor for the harvest. You plant your wheat um, in the summer and you let it grow, and, and even wheat has that look of golden hair when you see the fields of wheat. And then at the end of the year, you harvest it, and of course you replant it, then it comes back as something beautiful. But if you think about the idea of the harvest, it's not so much that the harvest is better every year. It's the same every year, or approximately the same every year. But it's still important because that's the way that we have to live. And it makes that cycle of rebirth very cyclical without a whole lot of upper momentum. Or is there upper momentum in that, and I'm just missing something? Yes. Hmm? I said, were you asking me? I was asking whoever. Oh. You can take it. I don't think there necessarily has to be um, upward momentum. I think, like, with the... I mean, I guess every year you hope that your crops next year are better than the ones before, but it's not necessary that they are. <clears throat> um, unless you had a really bad year this year, then it's really necessary that they are. But I don't... I feel like there's kind of a... Um, Um, indifference to the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. I don't think that it necessarily has to be an upward momentum, especially when it comes to natural cycles. I think in general they are just um, neutral. Okay. So how do we compare that to... Um, the story of Odin or even the story of Baldur, you know, Baldur is slain, but after Ragnarok, he'll come back. And I think it could be argued, at least, that at the end of Ragnarok, we get an even better world than we ended with. Not a perfect world, but a better world. So I feel like in a lot of Rebirth, there is the idea of some sort of upper momentum. I think when it comes to the motivation of people, there's an upward momentum. Um, when you come to a point in your life when you're ready to destroy something about yourself to have it reborn, I think you would do that with the focus of improving yourself in the end. Otherwise, it would seem just in general destructive. Okay. 
And I suppose you could even look at harvest rituals and stuff like that. In some sense, upper momentum wouldn't necessarily be the right word, but they kind of have that because every time the crops are harvested, you create more life because you're using those crops to feed yourself and you're using those crops to feed your family. And though the crops themselves may not significantly change, you still do have the idea that you're using it to create more life. And with the assumption that life is good, you you are having some sort of upward momentum in that. Plus, I think your technique gets better every year. If you're going to do harvesting, you're going to think of better ways to do it and, and stuff like That's that. That's true. That is true. Well, I see that there are many benefits for change, but I think uh, the harvest one especially when it comes to Seif's hair, um, I don't know if that is a rebirth in my mind more than just a change. It is a cyclical nature. It is just the only thing in this world that is constant is is, is change kind of idea, and yet you, she accepts this new change. Yeah. That's just how I'm interpreting it. So I wonder if, is there a difference between rebirth and the idea of constant change in something like the harvest? Those may actually be two separate things. Well, rebirth is change, but not all change is rebirth. At least I don't think so. We might be able to come up with a an example that I would say is not rebirth, but I'm not sure. I mean, our day-to-day lives, while they can be very similar, they do change because we have the additional information of the previous days, one would hope, and we could make it uh, better. So is continuing to live a rebirth of every day? Well, I don't know. That's actually a good question. Um, I think a lot of things that we that we look at when we're looking at um, the lore and even just the world around us is things happen on all sorts of different scales. They happen on small scales and they happen on large scales. Um, the idea of crops seems to be some sort of a cycle where if there's an improvement or not, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe not. But then if you want to look at a way bigger scale than that, you can look at Ragnarok, the actual end of the world. And in the end of the world, I mean, the world is destroyed and then it falls into the sea and is cleansed and it rises from the sea as maybe a better world or at least a new world, which is in a better place than the current world was. You know, in Ragnarok, you have war, you have brother fighting brother. It's a bad time. Whereas in the very beginning of this current cycle that we're in of Midgard, Excuse me. Uh, from the beginning of the Valsapa, you have that as a really good time and a peaceful time, and things sort of slowly get worse and worse. Until Ragnarok, then you sort of reset the cycle, and it goes back to that really good, peaceful time. And presumably, the world will go on a similar um, progression. But in a lot of ways, I think if you go the other way to look at an even smaller scale, our lives do have a very cyclical nature to them. In the sense that, you know, you wake up and you eat and you do your stuff and you think and whatever, and at the end of the day, you go to sleep, which is a break in consciousness, which I think, I wouldn't go as far as to call it rebirth, but I think it's got the same spirit of rebirth. Everything you've done in that day 
for those hours that you're asleep disappears. It's sort of like dying, but on a very small scale. You know, you're not actually dying, but you are losing your conscious thought. Your subconscious may go on, but you're losing your conscious thoughts. And, and even in that, you have a rebirth idea where you die every night and you're born again in the morning when you wake up. And that's how I've taken it for, I don't know, the last couple of years. And I don't know, I've gone at peace with that. Cause I don't mind that little death. Cause it's a, I waken refreshed as a new person each day with, uh, maybe similar hopes and dreams as the previous one, but more vigor and more energy. But then again, that could just be rest. Yeah, right. I was gonna say I don't wake that way every day. <laughs> well, if I got enough sleep or not. <laughs> I take a couple hours to get into being that way. But I do think that, okay, and you can take this philosophy too far, just like you can take anything too far. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying if you commit a crime, as long as you go to sleep, they should let you out of prison. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but to some extent, you do wake up as a new person. Um yeah, you do have all those memories, but you had a break in consciousness. You were you for the whole day, and then you stopped being you because, well, and I suppose this is philosophically debatable. You, I, I kind of see it as quote unquote, you are your consciousness. That conscious, um, I can't remember the word right now, but that like cohesive consciousness that you are for the whole day. That's sort of what you are. So when you go to sleep, there's a break in that continuity. That, that's the word I was looking for. You're a, con- a continuous consciousness throughout the day. That's what's making your decisions. And when you break, when you go to sleep, you do break that continuity. And then, of course, you wake up again. But it's not the continuous thinking person that you were of yesterday because there's been a break in consciousness. So in a lot of ways, I think you've sort of stopped being the same person and started being a different person. And that can be really depressing if you say, oh, that means I die every time I go to sleep. Or it can be really liberating if you say, that means every day I have a new start. Mm-hmm. Well, I also wanted to talk about that and then real quick. Um, so you said if you go to sleep, you're you're still responsible for what happened in the past. Mm-hmm. But kind of that cyclical nature of our lives are to, you know, spawn, have children. Mm-hmm. Are they then responsible for the acts that you did? That is a very good question. Um, and I'm going to have to get Lauren's thought on it, too. Now, our sagas do speak of things like this, where the child is... Um, it. it Reading the sagas, it, it sounds like they're sort of responsible for what their parents did. And in a very practical way, you are, because if your parents have a bad reputation, that, that bad reputation will follow you. Now, I don't think it's to the same degree that you are responsible for what you did, because, you know, the things that you did, you're absolutely responsible for, because... The thing that is called you made those decisions. Rather than saying you're responsible for what your parents did, I would like to say you are heavily affected by what your parents did. And part of your parents are in you. I mean, their genes are part of you. 
And I think certain things that your parents do that may be dishonorable are more likely to affect you than they are to affect other people just because of the genes that are in you. Of course, the fact they raised you is also part of it. So I'm saying if your parents were violent people and they, let's just say they were abusive, let's say your parents were abusive, I don't think you should feel responsible for them being abusive because it's not your fault. However, I do think that that means you're probably more likely to be abusive yourself. And in the grand scheme of things, when you think about the folk soul, the thing that holds all of our ancestors together, we do have a certain responsibility where where we want to do good things to make up for the bad things that our parents did. And I think we do kind of have a responsibility to do that, to make the world a better place, to make up for the bad stuff our parents did. Of course, if our parents were great people... I wouldn't say that gives you a free pass and you can be a total jerk. At that point in time, you should probably keep the good the good name going. Um, Lauren, what do you think on this one? I think I generally agree with you. I think you have like the spiritual parts of how their actions, their previous actions, fall into affecting your weird and your orlog, but then you also have like the societal. Not so much in today's world, but, I mean, unless they really made big arses of themselves. But in today's world, there are a lot of things that you can get away with because we have such a large world community. But, like, in the sagas and things, they were smaller, tight-knit communities. So if your parents were bad people or even just made one bad mistake, that could lead all of their progeny for a very long time to have um, a hard time getting around in society. Um, so I definitely think that your parents, because they're part of your family and you bear their name, will have an influence on your life forever. But, um, but then also you have the spiritual part of what it is that they did that they put into your well before, you know, that can't be fixed, I guess. So it's still you're responsible for your own actions is certainly more impactful than what your parents did before, but you are related to them and you do, um, you are a part of their family. So what they do and their actions certainly influence your luck and your future. And would the same be said for adoptive parents and children? Yeah, I think in a similar way, unless it would be a little bit different because you wouldn't be influenced by the genetics if, like, it was, like, a weird disease or a weird psycho, um, not psycho, it's not the word, some type of psychological issue that passed on through genes. But if it's something behavioral and you're adopted by people that are bad or dishonorable, then you're still going to be connected with them through name if you took their name. I don't think the connection is actually nearly as severe if it's through adopted. Because um, they don't, of course, the genetic thing and all of that, they don't share your same genes. They don't have the same predisp- predispositions that you have and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, there is some responsibility going between those two things. But I don't, I don't think it's nearly as strong. I think it's closer to like um, your... your um, 
your like friend, well, like your your cap involving yourself with the wrong type of people. Yeah, Yeah. I'd agree with that. So yeah, there. The thing is, for everything we do, um, I've heard the term uh, "web of weird," which says everyone you're connected to affects uh, your life and your luck, and I think that's true. But there is a stronger connection between actual family than there is between um, those that are not necessarily part of family. So you're adopted by a great family and they're wonderful people and the community loves them and you get nothing of that? Or you get very little of that then? You get some of that, but I think that if your biological parents were horrible people, there would still be some responsibility for make to make up what your biological parents did. You can't just cut the ties with your biological parents if you're adopted or not. Um, and it's a weird situation, but you're affected by both of those families at that point in time. You're affected by your biological and your um, adoptive family at that point in time. I'd probably say equal parts of both equal part, you're responsible equal parts for your uh, surrogate family and equal parts for your biological family. So, yeah. And somehow this relates to rebirth eventually, <laughs> I don't know. I brought it up, it's my fault. No, it was it was a good um, tangent. I was going to ask another question about rebirth, um, I don't know if it's related to what we were talking about or not, so this may be a horrible segue. Something completely different. <laughs> For something completely different, yeah. So what is the purpose of rebirth? Why is it a thing? And I guess it kind of relates because the way you go through rebirth in your family line is having children. Part of you remains, but part of you is destroyed. I mean you as Lauren don't continue living through your daughter, but our family line does live on through our daughter. So our family line is being reborn, even though you individually aren't being reborn in that situation. So so what's the purpose of rebirth if we're talking about personal or 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 bigger or smaller or whatever? Well change, obviously. There's no Otherwise, we would stagnate and nothing new or different or anything would happen in the world. We have to always change, reborn, uh, to create something different and new and uh, learn from our past. Or as we learn from our past, that changes us. And that is a part rebirth. At least I take it as such. Yeah, I'd say that's correct. Now, here's an interesting question. Um, practically, it... it that's just how you have to do things. As, let's talk about us as people, and maybe the answer will apply to the world at large as well, because I think they usually do. If you're trying to really change who you are, you are unhappy with what you've become in life, I think the most effective way to become somebody new is to decide who you want to be. Think about that, put some work into that, and have some sort of a rebirth where you destroy the old self so the new self can be born. Why do you have to do it that way? Why can't you just slowly change into something different or someone different? It seems like a true rebirth where the old self is destroyed is necessary 
I wonder why is that? Why is that destruction necessary? Why can't you, you know, like if we're talking about crops, why can't you harvest just a little bit here and a little bit there? Slow. Well, because if you do things slowly and it's your personality that you're trying to change, uh, the habit of being that old self will continue and you will never reach that goal of change. Now, some people can do it, I'm sure, but for the most part, it's simply that, okay, I want to be something else, so I best do that and be- make it a habit and just become that life that you wish to live. Otherwise, you'll just continue to be set in that previous state. I feel like they can't exist both at the same time. I feel like you typically need a paradigm shift. Like, you can't... um you can't have both at the same time. So I think that's why you need to have the act of destroying the old self to make room for the new one. Because the two, it doesn't make sense to have the two existing at the same time. Okay. Well, I'm also thinking about Ragnarok when we talk about this. We think of the world as created in the beginning as a pretty cool place. And um, then a little war and stuff like that started to spring up and maybe some corruption until where where we are today, which is actually still a pretty cool place. Um, but it seems like as we get closer and closer to Ragnarok, the world degrades into a very not cool place. It's pretty bad. And then through the rebirth um, process, it becomes a good place once again. I wonder if there's something to do with the fact that if a system is left alone, it degrades. Does a system always degrade if it's left alone? And does a person degrade if they're left alone? And the occasional rebirth is something that's necessary to stop that degradation. And it'll just happen naturally? or Well, it'll happen naturally or intentionally, either one, really. And and I mean, I'm, I'm t- kind of trying to pull all the metaphors we've talked about in here. If you do have um, a field and crops, if you just leave them alone, they start to degrade too. They kind of fall apart and rot and everything else. And you don't get nearly as much food as you would have if you had actually harvested them. I wonder if there's a natural danger to stagnation, which makes rebirth required because if you don't have it, things will naturally degrade. You the act of not changing is in itself destructive. Yeah, just a thought. I didn't know if anybody had comments on that. No, I like that. Uh, you cut out for a bit because Skype did, so I missed some of it. Oh, I'm sorry. I hate Skype. You don't have to repeat, though. She's already agreed with you. You don't need anything else. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, that's... That's all I need. Oh, see, now you have a reason to listen to the show. <laughs> um, yeah, just talk, I was just talking about that maybe, um, stagnation is by, or not changing is by its nature bad, which is why we have to go through a rebirth cycle, because if you don't have that, you can't, you can't have something that doesn't change. So we need the rebirth cycle for that reason. Well. Like I said earlier, stagnation. You don't want stagnation. You always have to have change. Otherwise, it stagnates and we get nothing new. The ground is infertile and such and such. Yeah. It, well, it's strange because um, in a lot of uh, 
utopian societies that we might imagine. We have a utopian society where, where just the opposite is true. Like in the best world, this would be the case. And these are the buildings we'd have and these are the things we do. Where the very fact of making a utopian society is saying, I want things to stop changing. And it might be an argument against utopian societies. Maybe we really don't want an end goal for our society. And maybe we don't want an end goal for our lives. But the act of change itself is actually quite the important part. Utopian society is a fantasy. It's like writing a fantasy novel. Certainly, there are times when something like a utopian society might exist, but it won't be permanent. Because we're always in a state of change. There's always going to be someone who, you know, doesn't like the society or wishes more power for themselves or, you know, a multitude of other things. So it's never going to be completely stable. And since it's not stable, there's always going to be a change. Yeah. And I think, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Okay. I did. This is kind of off topic again, but it, it is something I wanted to discuss a little bit. When we're talking about different ideas of rebirth, we talked about the Odin story, for example, which seems to be more of a personal rebirth. The way, perhaps as an example, you can think, well, um, this is what I can do to actually change myself and better myself. Rebirth can be used for that. And you have the Eve story where we have the idea of the crops and the more cyclical version of rebirth. And um, same with the Ragnarok story. So the story of Iduna, she has golden apples, and those apples make the gods forever young. They eat the apples, and they're young. And um, she gives the apples to the gods to create some sort of, I guess, physical idea of rebirth. My question is, is Iduna giving the apple, is that rebirth, or is that something completely different? I think Lauren and I disagreed on this. Yeah. What were your thoughts, Lauren? Well, I thought that it was kind of evading rebirth, right? Because, I mean, the idea of her growing apples and the natural element of that seems like rebirth, but the gods actually taking the apples, they're, they're avoiding their own natural death, so that seems like they're avoiding the cycle of death and rebirth to me. Maybe that opens them up to having a longer life of spiritual rebirth, but, um, but physically, I feel like they're evading the system. And I think that makes sense. Uh, do you have anything to say on that, Laura? Um, well, I think it's just an act of eating for the gods to have their powers continue. And, you know, don't they waste away and wither away and lose some abilities if they don't have it? So it's a part of the godhoodness is to continue eating these apples. They would maybe lose that aspect without that. Not that there's anything wrong with not having the aspect, but right. what makes them them is doing this act. Just like Odin goes out into the world and tries to not necessarily prevent Ragnarok, but prepare the world for it. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's like you eat the apples to prepare. Yeah, I, I think it's just an interesting one where at first I was thinking as the idea of physical rebirth, but if you think about it, it is kind of the idea of avoiding rebirth. But then, 
the gods aren't totally trying to avoid rebirth because Odin, for example, who does eat the egg, one of the ones who would presumably eat the apples, uh, he goes to Ragnarok even though, even though he knows he's going to get killed in that final battle. And, and all of the gods go to Ragnarok even though, though they know they're going to get killed in that final battle. So it's like the idea that they have a bigger life cycle or a bigger rebirth cycle than their physical bodies have granted them. And I just think that's kind of interesting. And I wonder what we can learn from that. And this, this is kind of something I just thought of like now. So this may be crazy person talk, <laughs> but when we think of rebirth, we've said it's good. It's something you have to go through on a daily millennia or however long Ragnarok cycle is and, and personal level. So we should not fear death. Part of our spiritual rebirth is dying and going on to whatever comes next, if that's to fight in Ragnarok or if that's to uh, go to one of the other many afterlives. Whatever it is, our souls need to die and leave the physical world and go to the spiritual world. I would argue, obviously, that's different for everyone. But I wonder if if there's something in the story of the apples where it's saying that some people's rebirth cycle is bigger than their bodies. Is it saying that us as humans have the potential to have a bigger rebirth cycle and we should embrace things like medicine and we should actually have it as a goal to increase our life? Because a lot of times, and I fall into this sometimes myself, I used to more than I do now, you'll make the argument, well, rebirth is good and we shouldn't fear death so I don't want to live longer. I don't want a robot body because I should embrace my death and I should embrace the natural cycle. Is there a moral in that story that says, yes, you should embrace the natural cycle and yes, you should embrace death, but you don't have to embrace it now. You can have a bigger rebirth cycle as long as you're still learning and changing yourself. It's fine to make your life longer with the knowledge that eventually it will end. Or, or am I modernizing it and reading too much into it? I can see what you're saying. And I would agree with what you're saying. But I do think it is a possibility that you are modernizing it, though. I might be. Well, they had medicine back in the day. That would be a way to increase the lifespan. And robot well, bodies are basically advanced medicine. Well, here's a question. Is there anything in the lore that ever says that we should shorten our life without purpose? I mean, we without always... Without purpose, no. I mean... Right. With purpose, yes. Actually, yeah. we go to war. Yeah. You know, we defend. We we do what we need to do, and it might be a risk, but we still try. However, if there's no reason to, I don't remember anywhere in the lore that says we should just throw away any chance to continue to live. No. No, there's not anything in the lore like that that I'm aware of anyway. Well, and you've got, like, in the Havamal, a lot of these good, um, you know, techniques on living a good life of moderation that, in general, if you live that way, would lead to good health and lead to a longer life. So and maybe that is something encouraged by the gods. <laughs> they certainly are not the type that 
not the type of religion to hate the world, so living here is a good thing. So that's an interesting take on the story. I wonder if that's in there. I, I, as Lore said, really, maybe I am modernizing it. Even I think that's a very real possibility. But I, I just wonder because re- rebirth is pushed so, anyway, I feel like rebirth is pushed so much that the gods, I mean, these are the gods. They're clever. They've been around for a really long time. So it makes sense that, um, they would think, well, but what if our people start thinking, oh, this rebirth thing is, 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 uh, what if they take it in the wrong way and they're like, oh, that means I should just die when my time is here instead of, instead of taking the herbs and medicines and I should try to die, not, I should try not to die as, as an old person. And it's put in here as the, as a way to say, look, you can increase your life and that's fine. Or even maybe that's one of the things we inherited from the gods. Um, the gods are eating the apple, so in essence the gods are increasing their lifespan. And humans are one of the only animals I'm aware of that purposefully increase their lifespan. Now, mo- no anim- most animals don't try to get themselves killed. Most animals try to avoid shortening their lifespans, but humans actually increase their lifespans. I wonder if that's something we inherited from the gods, and we can say that's what that story was about. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I think it's interesting. You know, don't nobody quote me on this, but (laughs) I think it's an interesting idea. Okay. I just thought I'd throw that out there. All right. Okay, so what else do we want to talk about on on rebirth? We just had our stero bloat, so that's kind of why I was thinking about this, and and we're thinking about um the idea that that winter is ending. We've been in a long cold winter, and now is the time to begin new things, to start new projects, and uh, think about who we are and and possibly become someone someone different. So what else do we want to say about rebirth? Nothing. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. the rebirth that I always think of and the one I always push for myself is of setting goals and living up to them. And when I reach those goals and accomplish them, I'm reborn into one who has won, and then I can set a new goal so I can continue that change. Okay, so that's a good way when you have the idea of rebirth, you know, you can set certain goals. And I think goals are a good, are a really good thing. And I think we actually see them, we see so many cautionary tales about really committing to goals. Like, um, there's a story in the Heimskringla where these two Swedish kings were like, we should take over Sweden, and then they're drinking too much. See, that's another lesson. Don't drink too much and then <laughs> swear oaths. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And then they took oaths on it, which a goal and an oath is not the same thing, obviously. But a goal is along the same lines. An oath is just putting it into stone. A goal, a goal is just something you decide you're going to 
going to do and then you work to do that. Uh, an oath is something you actually put in stone. But, you know, they ended up getting themselves killed because they couldn't take the other side, but they're sort of stuck in it because they had taken an oath. And there's so many cautionary tales like that and people saying, hey, don't take oaths if you're not going to keep them, etc., that I think sometimes we forget the importance of taking oaths and on a smaller level, I'm setting goals. The point of all these O's are important stories is not to tell you to never take O's. The point of these stories is to emphasize just how important O's are and just how important it is to actually do things like take O's. Um, because I, I, I think those can be the driving force that makes us do something. When we take something seriously and we say, yeah, this is really important to me, that can be a motivation to actually accomplish something of great value. Which is yeah. change and which is rebirth. Yes. And that's how it all wraps together, which is change and rebirth. So are there any situations where rebirth is a bad thing? Yes, but that's only if you make poor decisions. Or, you know... <sighs> yes, usually when it's poor decision. Because the only rebirth that you can have that would be bad is if it was due to a poor decision. You know, I could say, um, I'm going to sell drugs tomorrow or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm reborn a drug dealer and I'm making money. <laughs> But now I'm a criminal. Yeah. Right. I suppose that'd be a bad situation. But you're right. It's not because the idea of rebirth is bad. It's just you made a really bad decision as to what you wanted to be reborn as. Mm-hmm. So I suppose, I mean, I guess that's always a bit of a risk. If you take life into your own hands, you might really screw it up. But again, that's not necessarily a reason we'd want to stop living life. Right. I mean, there is nothing in this world that you can accomplish by not taking risks other than being stagnant. Mm. So if there's a goal that you have in mind, yes, you have to be reborn, and sometimes it can be painful and risky, but sometimes you got to do it just to make something new and change the world. Yeah, because you have, like, I'm sure there's a bit of um, spiritual rebirth in Odin when he found out exactly the way he was going to die, and... um just the details of the end of the world um, that were seemingly negative. I mean, he never smiled again and um, things like that. But in the end, it turned out really great for us that he knew all of those things because if he hadn't, our, I mean, the end could be really doom for us instead of a rebirth of the world and a better world in the end. Yeah. So here's an interesting question, which is actually a little off topic, but it's sort of rebirth, and I think we've covered rebirth pretty, pretty, pretty thoroughly for us. Um, what about things like reincarnation and stuff like that? Is there reincarnation in the family line? That's just something I was kind of talking to my brother about a while ago. Thoughts well, I that. think that's very personal, um, mm, yeah. and I think there might be some precedence in the lore. My own personal take would be, I can see how you can develop very many similar traits to a previous uh, 
uh, regenerator. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you are that person. Yeah, I don't believe in regeneration of the entire soul. I, you, I mean, you have the idea of the folk soul being passed on, not really regen, it's not reincarnation, but, um, yeah, I don't think that really has a place in my spiritual idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, they do talk about it a little bit in the lore, but, Again, just because it's in the lore, I suppose you don't necessarily have a to. A total reincarnation? They talk about reincarnation in the lore. Do they? Yeah. Where? <laughs> well, I'm just um, looking for a story because I can't think of any stories of reincarnation. Alright. To Google. It's in the, um, the Havamaw. A lot of people say that that last story, not the Havamaw, the, uh, Poetic Eddas, that that last Big famous story has a reincarnation theme to it. Which big story? Let's see here. Reincarnation also appears in North Mythology and the Poetic Edda. The editor of the Poet Edit or the editor of the Poetic Edda says that Helgi Hjorforsen and his mistress, the Valkyrie Svafa, whose love story is told in the poem Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My <laughs> pronunciation is really bad. Were reborn as Helgi Hundingsbane and the Valkyrie Sigurn. Or Sigrun. Yeah, yeah uh, that one. I couldn't, I couldn't remember their names because I can't yeah. pronounce them anyway. So but there's the idea that the same story is happening over and over again, basically with the two same people being reincarnated. I'm skeptical. I'm not, well, I mean. To each their own belief system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Or uh, understanding of a story. And that is fine. However, personally, Apparently, myself and uh, Lauren here do not take that as such. Like I said earlier, it's just a matter of being very similar, and that could lead to people thinking that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it is so. I actually fall into your camp. I've never been able to believe that reincarnation in the pure sense is actually something real. And there is that story where it does kind of happen, but I'd say... That's more the idea of a imprinted folk soul being reborn. So you carry something very similar to something that your ancestors carried. And, and in a lot of ways, even your fate is all intertwined, way stronger than it normally would be. But I don't believe in actual reincarnation. But, but I will say that I think a, an true person would have good reason to believe in reincarnation. I, I wouldn't say oh no, you're wrong. You can't be true because you believe in reincarnation because I think there's a little bit of precedence in that piece of lore there. But I personally think it's like uh, a really strongly connected folk soul. And then of course right. the folk and that's soul, how I would... there's a regular soul as well. And the regular soul and is that's not... that's how I would interpret it but, I mean, everyone interprets things differently. What you think of and what I think of about, uh, you know, the gods is completely different. But then again, seen from a third person, it may look very similar. So, Yeah, that's true. And I mean, that's, that's one of the um, pros and cons of our lore, 
is that, I mean, the whole, uh, the poetic Edda was to a large part translated and bound up in one book for the first time by, um, Snorri Sturluson. and, um, the Hollander translation and anyone who's listened to the Havamaw podcast, Lore always has the Hollander translation because it's a really good translation. It's actually my personal favorite. But that translation is just translating what Snorri had written down. And what he did is he collected a bunch of stuff and kind of put it together as a way to save Norse poetry. But, of course, Snorri was, history says, a Christian. And um, the other guy who had a little bit to do with Havamaw stories was uh, the guy who did the Elder stories. What was his name? Oh, I can't remember. Samen, thank oh, you. That's right. Yeah, Samen. And Samen was a monk, mm-hmm. a Christian monk. So the sources where we're getting our lore are um, uh, questionable. Mm-hmm. We can't take it as sacred lore. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have something that has passed down through people who are actually true from the generation. So on one hand, that's dangerous because someone can say, no, I think fairies live in the sun and that's totally what all true people are, should believe. <laughs> and we don't have sacred lore, so you can't tell me I'm wrong. And, you know, I can't tell them they're wrong. But on the other hand, it lets us explore our lore and uh, play with it and say, well, what if we think about it this way or that way? And it lets people have very individual ideas, and I think in that sense, it's a very good thing. Yeah. But I think Rebirth is a good example of how maybe you can look at the lore because we've got the sea story and the Odin story and the Ragnarok story where we see the cyclical nature of the universe and you can actually look at that in the real world you know the lore being mistranslated or or um, purposely changed it doesn't matter you can look outside and see that summer really does turn into fall and fall really does turn into winter and i think that there are lessons in the nat, I sound like a hippie now, but <laughs> I think there's lessons in the natural world. If you just go outside and look at what's going on in the world, you should see things, you should learn things, and I think cycles are one of those things. And then you can apply those things to yourself and say, "Well, the world has a cold winter." In the co- now, I mean, this is actually specific to where we live and where our ancestors live. This wouldn't be the case in um, South America, for example, or or any tropical climate. But where we live, we see the world has a cold winter, and the point of that cold winter is 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 really to make things die. I mean, you have the bugs die, you have a lot of things die, a lot of plants die. Um, a lot of plants also go into some sort of, uh, plants and animals both go into some sort of hibernation. But there's a period of inactivity and a lot of those seasonal plants will die. And then when the spring comes back, things start coming back to life and, and they're reborn. Even the trees that have gone dormant are reborn in, in a sense. And the plants that died, the seeds they dropped grow, and the plants continue to live in the same spot, but they're not the same plants. They're new plants. Um, and I think there's a lot you can learn from just watching the cycles of nature, and I think a lot of that stuff is captured in the lore, especially when we look at the Ragnarok story, for example. 
the world really is born, it it dies and then it's reborn. And it comes out of the water, which is nice symbolism there too, the idea with the whole rebirth thing. So uh, so I think you can find cases where the lore meshes up really nicely to um the world that we interact with every day. And that helps it make a lot more sense, I suppose. Anyway. Well, it sort of corroborates your, you're like, this is what I read in the lore, and this also makes sense in the world. So, you know, maybe this is something that was real, or that was, at least makes sense. It's not something that's contradictory to how the world really is. So it's believable. Right. That makes sense. No, it's I... all, almost all personal gnosis though. In I my think, mind. I think a large part of it is. Um, I guess... No, I mean, it is all personal noses to an extent. But it is nice when you see things that mesh up with the world, I guess. Well, and that's what I'm saying. That. You don't need I to mean, have a personal... I feel like, I feel like sometimes you don't, you don't need to have, um, you don't have to have a personal gnosis experience with rebirth to, at least for me, to believe that um, our ancestors and probably our gods believed that from the stories because I do see it in the real world. I think well, that, that makes I'm sense. referring, well, yes, absolutely, that does make sense. But what I'm saying with, in regards to lore specifically, mm-hmm. you have to take everything um, and digest that into your mind and see if that does make sense. Versus uh, Ver- sacred text, just believing what it says. Right. Okay. I see. Yeah. And so that that's kind of a rebirth too, because also true in general, it's a rebirth because yeah. it had been lost, or at least it was not practiced, yeah. um, for the most part. Oh yeah. So we okay. have to deal with, we have to deal with the, uh, you know, looking back and rebuilding it. Yeah. Into something a modern day person would do. Right, and I think that's hugely important. Um. And and it's kind of okay. It's not cool that uh, that this religion we call us true today completely disappeared. That's not cool. But the silver lining is it is a religion that has a heavy focus on rebirth, and it is being reborn, and and we're now part of that rebirth. In that sense, it's kind of cool that it's being reborn, and it's a religion about rebirth. Um, but that's always a real a real trick when you have lore that you can't necessarily say this is definitely what happened. You have to test these things for yourself and see if they make sense, see if they mesh up to, you know, maybe the experiences you have in meditation or or whatever. Um, and I think a good example of that is, speaking of austera, in the line of rebirth, we just had our austera bloat, and there's actually controversy around that. Is austera actually a goddess? Uh, the evidence is heavily linguistic by Bede and um, Grimm later on. They were like, yeah, there's this thing called Austera Month, loosely translated, really loosely translated. And because it's called that in this certain linguistic way, it means Austera was a goddess. And I mean, they had good arguments for what they're saying, but what I'm getting at is we don't have lore about Austera. We don't have much about Austera, but in the Hugenhof kindred, we've chosen to 
have an austera bloat and actually honor austera. Now, personally, for me, that's because I've thought about her as a goddess, and she makes sense in the Norse pantheon, and I've done meditative work and had positive results with austera. But, I mean, you can't say if you went to a different kindred and they're like, oh, we don't honor austera because the evidence not isn't in for us, you couldn't say they were wrong about that because there's really not a lot of evidence. So that's kind of a huge task for being in something like Ossetru, which is sort of um, being reborn right now. You have to make calls like, are we going to honor austera? For us, it was, yes, it'd be disrespectful not to if you believe the goddess actually exists. But on the other hand, if you were somebody else, it would also be disrespectful to the rest of the gods to worship someone who doesn't exist. So that's a challenge. I think that's a huge challenge. And I think as we become more established as a religion, that we're, there, I mean, there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations on stuff like that come up. So... That was a tangent, but I think <laughs> I think I've said everything I want to say about rebirth. Um, Lord, did you have any final words on rebirth or anything we talked about? Um, only that Austera makes sense to me personally, simply because it is a thing that has been incorporated elsewhere. And it's almost hidden by other myths on top of it. To me, that makes sense that we should go back and honor, if not the goddess Austera, the spring rebirth. And we just happen to have given it the name Austera. Either way is fine by me, though. And that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> okay. Lauren, any final thoughts? Um, yeah, just, um, kind of the idea that we already passed through that it, it's nice that we have this, um, we have this lore and that we can actually see it in the world and that we can, um, the things that we believe our gods were trying to teach us actually line up with the way the world really is. And so, um, this particular bloat is one of my favorites of ours because it's something so real to us and something um, so easily observed. And who isn't happy about spring and the coming of new life? So, Yeah. And I just kind of want to mirror what both of you said. I mean, Ostera makes sense as a goddess to me. And I've had enough personal experiences that, that I think it's appropriate for us at least to worship, to honor her. And um, I I really like the idea of rebirth. It's um, one that I don't think I talk about enough because sometimes I get very distracted with um, more intellectual things. I mean, the Aesir kind of lean towards the intellectual mind space ideas. And the Vanir kind of traditionally lean towards the cycles of nature. I would say that's probably fair to say. And I myself lean towards the Aesir. They're the ones I usually study more, though I appreciate the cycles of nature 
I will normally argue um, ethics and philosophy and stuff like that. So I just wanted to do a podcast where we sort of explore the whole cycles of nature idea. Um, and yeah, I think rebirth is a huge one, and it's it's one that we actually see in the world, and you know we should we should think about. So yeah, that's about all I had to say. So to everybody out there, thank you for listening. If you had any email, please send it to huganhoffpodcast at gmail.com. You can find that at the website huganhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F dot org. And if you just want to uh, write questions, comments, that's fine. Or if you want to give your ideas of what you think rebirth is, uh, I'd love to read them on the show. Just in your email, mention, hey, it's okay to read this on the show. And uh, we'll kind of have a little, begin before the show starts, discuss some of the emails we get, if we get any. So, again, thank you, everyone, for listening. Rahel. Rahel.